Welcome back to another Cardinals off day podcast. And in fact, welcome to the uh, Cardinals off season. Uh, the season is officially over. The Cardinals have been eliminated, uh, but we're here to do uh, one last uh, off day uh, as, as I guess part of the 2023 season. Um, I'm Ben Godar with me as always, uh, my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well here in Iowa anyway. Uh, it sounds like we have a rush delivery of some actual October weather on the way uh, after some 90 degree weather over the last week. So uh, I, for one, and I'm, am excited for, uh, you know, like coffee and wearing a jacket and uh, probably some rain when it's like 45 degrees. So uh, very much looking f- forward to some proper October weather during which to watch some baseball, uh, some playoff baseball here in the weeks ahead. Yeah, and uh, and not Cardinals baseball as we as we know and we have known for a while, but uh, oh well. Um, well, Ben, uh, as we move forward here today, we've got a, a handful of things uh, we're going to um, touch on for folks. A uh, few kind of news items that, that broke here towards the end of the season. Um, just a little bit of looking back at the season, including uh, the results of our uh, wins above replacement draft that we do every year. Um, and then I think we, we also want to just maybe give a little bit of a preview of what we think we, we can look forward to in the year to come. But before we get to all that, Ben, uh, what what did you learn here over the, the very, very end of the season? Season. Uh, I had uh, my affection for Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina reaffirmed uh, <laughs> with them making their entrance during the Adam Wainwright farewell ceremony. Uh, like, you know, they're doing almost a run in, uh, and then Adam Wainwright basically crying and having to hug Yadi while he holds back so he could get to a point where he could hold back his tears and it was all just um it was a it was a rough season and all of that was just very endearing um and you know it it did make me realize i you know i'm going to miss these guys and cheering for them and you know like we knew that from Pujols and Molina last year but then seeing them all together again it was just kind of like you know, it's a cliche and all that, but it really truly is the end of an era. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Cardinals pivot into this new era of St. Louis Cardinals baseball with some glaring needs of this offseason. Yeah, well, you know, and interestingly, Ben, I I feel like I learned something similar. And and, um, and, and as off, we often say here, it was more of a kind of relearning or reminding thing. And that was, you know, the, the Cardinals for all the things that we do criticize them for, they really know how to do the fan experience pretty well. And I think the, the Wainwright retirement weekend was a, was a pretty good example of that. Um, you know, and the, the, the things you mentioned, um, you know, the Adam Wainwright concert, I mean, what a crazy thing to do. Right. But I just think, you know, what, what a fun thing to do, especially in a season that's lost the Wainwright at bats. I mean, again, it's like the season's gone. It was, a, the, you know, they really just embraced like, Let's give the folks some entertainment here this weekend, Um, you know, but I also just think, um, and this gets more at your point, the way that the Cardinals can bring back these, you know, these great players from their past and the way they keep those, those people in the fold. So they kind of always feel like they're there and they're part of the family. I just think that sometimes as Cardinals fans, it's, it's so kind of second nature to us that they do that. It's, it's easy to forget that very few teams have that have that kind of fan experience and that kind of, of culture. Um, you know, I know I, I went to a game in Pittsburgh this year and, you know, Pittsburgh's a beautiful stadium, but it's it just kind of like, you know, they don't, uh, I, I mean, it's just little things like, you know, they don't have promotions, you know, really particularly often. And they're just not a lot of kind of, you know, just, just the sort of all the, all the, just the little extras and just that kind of stuff in St. Louis, it was just really noticeably lacking there. Um, and, and, you know, that just tends to be true a lot of other places too. So, um, and I know sometimes when we're, when the team's not winning, it's, it's a knee jerk thing that we can sometimes say like, oh, well, they just, you know, they care more about, you know, this kind of stuff, grumble, 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 but Hey, let's be grateful that they do care about that stuff because it, it does make it a lot of fun. Yeah, and I I think that's sort of uh, stems from Bill DeWitt Jr. being you know the son of a of a baseball man, 
you know, like there's kind of, it's a modern twist on sort of the old timey, you know, like Stan Musial day, but instead it's going to be a weekend and Adam Wainwright's going to perform a concert and we're going to open the wallet for a custom hypoallergenic dog, you know, like a puppy, (laughs) I I should say, you know, and just like everything about that um, was, it was just very well done. You know, and and as you said, keeping everyone in the fold so you have, you know, <clears throat> all of these former teammates there, uh, you know, kind of celebrating Adam Wainwright and really making clear just how beloved he is, not just as a player to fans, but as a teammate to his fellow players. And, um, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think the weekend the Adam Wainwright farewell weekend was very well handled. And in a way, I I feel like with his, and we're going to get to it here in a moment, and this is even kind of a segue, I suppose. Uh, Segue on then. (laughs) Even with his health status, uh, it was a very nice kind of way to handle it uh, with the season lost. And I don't know how, how well all of that works if the season you know, if the Cardinals were staring down a potential playoff berth, I don't know how all of this would work. So uh, it was a silver lining on a dark cloud of a season, but that dark cloud of the season, you know, probably allowed us to have a very, very uh, shiny silver lining uh, over the weekend. And I really enjoyed it. But what did you think about uh, for our listeners who, who do not follow foul territory, which is the, the, uh, AJ Pierzynski co-hosted kind of YouTube show slash podcast that is the kind of the two-face to uh, Ken Rosenthal's Harvey Dent Fair Territory show. And they had Adam Wainwright on and, you know, he gave a, a candid interview and shared that he, you know, in his aw shucks way, I probably played with a torn labrum and, you know, uh, sort of suggested in Baltimore that he tore it worse or made it really bad. Yeah. Um, what, what did you think of that uh, news that, that kind of broke over the last couple of days? Well, I, you know, I mean, it was, it was an interesting data point and I probably land somewhere in the middle on it. I know I saw some folks who really kind of, it fueled their fire and they kind of, you know, went to a, you know, place of, oh, geez, you know, this guy was just out there for himself to get 200 wins and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't think I can quite go there from what we kind of know. I don't, you know, know that that was necessarily the case, especially if the, the you know, real significant damage came in Baltimore at the end of the year or whatever. I mean, whatever you want to call his injury. I mean, he was, you know, you know, there's a fine line between hurt and bad, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Wayno w- was kind of on and off the, the DL with, uh, you, you know, they called it hurt. We might call it bad a couple times this year. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it just, it kind of is what it is. I mean, we've kind of talked about it. I think if you could go back in a time machine, you know, the team wins more games if they don't re-sign Adam Wainwright this year, that that's clear. Right. Um, you know, on the other hand, he played well enough last year that it, I think it made all kinds of sense to give him that opportunity. Um, and then particularly with, uh, you know, 200 wins being, uh, you know, something that was that, you know, frankly, I think the team assumed was going to happen by like June. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah. uh, you know, so, um, you know, I just think it's kind of one of those it's kind of one of those things now. And it, 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 I think your reaction to it probably just sort of depends on your reaction to, to Wainwright. And I mean, you know, as much as he is a, you know, a truly beloved figure among, you know, Cardinals fans, um, you know, all of us, you know, he does have a little bit of this history of sometimes kind of, you know, oh, I was actually hurt or, you know what I mean? Kind of, um, uh, you know, the narrative changes, uh, you know, uh, retroactively, um, so, uh, and, and I understand folks that bristle at that a little bit. So, so I understand a little bit of that, but I mean, you know, I feel like this season was, 
you know, even if they didn't bring out of Wayne right back, you know, he, he was far from the only thing that was wrong with this team. You know, this team lost more than 90 games. So, um, and, and, and frankly, by the time he tore it or tore it worse in Baltimore, you know, as you said, I mean, the fact that he kept pitching, well, we, you know, we got the, I mean, of course we got the 200th win and we also got that, you know, really kind of enjoyable final weekend. If we don't have Adam Wainwright for that final weekend, I mean, what are we, what are we doing watching, hoping we get to see a, you know, Richie Palacios ground rule double. I mean, what, you know, what, what do we have left to watch there? So, um, yeah, we, we will be, we will be watching, hoping for that for years, Ben. Well, <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> we, there are Richie Palacio stands out there, Ben, who are yes, are, are, are de- definitely very much. Well, uh, well, I mean, what was your take on that? We know situation. I, it was, you know, the whole. I I enjoy foul territory quite a bit because I think it's an interesting window into kind of base bro culture. Yeah. Um, you know, and it it really helps remind me how stupid these men are. Like most of them are just very stupid. And uh, Adam Wainwright, you know, when he was talking about his injury, it, it occurred to me that he probably isn't really all that bright either. Um, and it's, uh, you know, he was like, you know, there's a difference between playing hurt and being disabled. And I was like, oh, Adam, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, and he's talking about the disabled list, right? Like right. he's not, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, doing that, but you know, he was like, I have my contract and I'm going to go out there and help the team win. But I just, you know, and he was saying, you know, he was, he couldn't throw the ball 50 feet without an arc to it uh, after victory 200. And he just couldn't help the team win. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, Adam, do you think you were helping the team win before Baltimore, (laughs) like, like, what are we doing here, man? Like, you know, and, and there's to me, this really weird culture in baseball. And I think it's frankly quite stupid um, where, you know, you have to play through injuries and it's this fuzzy line, you know, where what is something you can play through that you are still good enough that you should even in spite of this physical or mental condition that you can help the team win. Yeah. And what is something that is so significant that you need to just say, I'm not helping the team win and Mm -hmm. I need to go on the injured list and get healthy so they can have someone who is physically capable of playing baseball at a level higher than me play in my stead. Right. Like, and with Wainwright, I was just kind of like, you know, I I wanted him to get 200. The season was lost. Really, who cares? But as you said, in the past, I mean, we've kind of been here before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're a professional athlete and you know your body better than anyone, yada, yada, yada. But there's a part of me that's just kind of like, I feel like maybe if Adam Wainwright listened to his body a little bit more you know, maybe his health problems aren't as bad and maybe the team's a little bit better off and maybe he's a little bit better off and, and he would already had 200 wins, you know? And it's just, uh, it it was just kind of one of those things where just, and we've talked about it, like how Yachty is crazy, right? And Pujols is crazy. Well, this is a good example of how Adam Wainwright is also crazy, where sure. yeah. he he thinks that even himself in this physically uh, compromised state is going to help the team win mm-hmm. because he's only hurt. He's not right. disabled. Right. But when you're his age, and I just had my labrum torn and repaired, and I'm here to tell you, I'm about his age, (laughs) you know, I'm still not throwing a baseball and it's uh, like pitching through that type of thing uh, at his age. It, it just kind of defies any sort of common sense or, or logic. And it it was just a very interesting window into that thought process where it's just like, you know, I think these guys really do, in order to succeed, they have to convince themselves that they can, that the team needs them on one level and that they can do it on another. 
And I think sometimes that distorts the line between when you should get medical care and go on the injured list and when you should fight your way through. Now, this year with Wainwright, it's a different it, it's a different scenario because the season was lost for the team. His career was over no matter what. You know, he wanted to go for 200. There's no doubt in my mind he discussed that with Mosellock and Gersh and uh, probably Ali Marmol as well, and they decided that was what they were going to do, and, and that's all fine. You know, that, yeah. that was also what the fans wanted. It's what Wainwright wanted, and I'm sure his teammates wanted it as well. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, just well, a very interested and in, interesting window into the whole play hurt versus play injured and that fuzzy line of when you're no longer helping the team win. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. Well, um, I guess moving on, Ben, um, as we, you know, look back a little bit on this season, um, every year uh, we do a wins above replacement draft before the season starts where we go through and we um, each pick. And I think we've kind of settled on five players each and uh, we try to pick uh uh, the five players that will get the most uh, wins above replacement over the course of the season. And it brings me, uh, I'm going to have to just say a great joy, Ben, to say, I think for the <laughs> third year in a row, um, I have come out on top. It was a, it was a real barn burner this year though. It was very close. Um, but uh, I, uh, my, uh, my, my boys came in with a 9.9 wins above replacement, whereas yours uh, ended up at, uh, at 9.1. Mason Wynn did everything he could to help you uh, win once he was brought up. He finished with a negative 0.8. Um, but uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's where we ended up the, uh, ended up the season. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get the, the results kind of posted up on Twitter there. It's easier to look at this than it's going to be for me to like, talk through a grid of, of numbers. But uh, Ben, any, uh, any thoughts here other than I'll tell you what my first thought is, is uh, that's a horrible total for both of us. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt had almost that much last year by himself. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. I, the the number one thing that jumped out at me were our uh, first and last picks. And w- what stood out to me is Arenado at 2.6 FR and Goldschmidt at 3.6, you know, far lower than what you would have hoped from them at the start of the year. And the same is true for Wynn, as you just said, just a a very ugly showing at the plate uh, in his big leg debut season. And Jordan Walker at 0.3, he had a a very ugly start in the field. And so that was... um, That's what stood out to me is, is the guys who they pay the big bucks to deliver at the plate and in the field didn't this year in Goldschmidt and Arenado. And then the young up-and-comers didn't pop the way that you would hope. Although I, I think we – I don't know how you feel, Ben, but I feel pretty confident that this season was a good down payment for both Walker and Wynn. Um, and I think they'll be, they'll be very good players uh, in the future for the Cardinals. Yeah, absolutely. I think really any players – like first, you know, half season or in Walker's case, much closer to a full season in the majors. Uh, I, I'm perfectly ready to chalk up to adjustment period and Walker in particular by the final month of the season. Um, you know, I mean, the offense was fully there and, and the defense really was looking greatly improved, you know, to the point that I, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty, um, you know, I'm about as high on him coming into next year as I was this year. Um, when it was a pretty small sample size, honestly, the defensive metrics were, were really did not love him. Um, uh, other than of course, you know, the elite arm, which no one's going to question, but, but it was a really short sample size. And I think we know the, the, you know, the, the, the tools are there and, and I expect him to, you know, still be pretty good next year as well. And, and realistically for an exercise like this, you know, a lot of these guys who we both had, you, you know, by the middle of the season, these guys were some combination of hurt or in some cases, you know, I think, you know, they were half hurt and they were like, you know what, dude, just take the rest of the season off. Cause who, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Nolan Gorman didn't play a whole lot at the end of the season. Obviously we know his back was bothering him. seems pretty clear that like in a pennant chase year, he would have been playing a lot more, but I think they were like really no point in putting extra strain on at this point. Yeah, totally agree. And of course, uh, you know, Donovan, yep. just go have your 
your elbow surgery. Uh, O'Neal, we don't even want you on the team. Just go on the injured list. Uh, Wilson Contreras finished the season on the injured list too. So did Arenado. Um, and, uh, but that being said, you know, I think that the front office is to be congratulated because Mils- Wilson Contreras was the player that they thought he would be with a 2.4 FWAR, you know, a very good offensive player, uh, a below average defender, exactly the catcher they thought they were getting right, Ben, uh, just a, a very good signing. Well, I mean, it, it, it's exactly the character they, the, the catcher they should have thought they were signing, and 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 I, I don't know, I got the sense that they may have made their peace with that to to some extent later on in the year, and I think some of the the Wilson Contreras panic early in the season was was a little bit of just the oh my gosh, this team is terrible panic, um, <laughs> and so um, once they kind of realized the whole team was terrible, it seemed like you know, that was less, less focused. Yes. Uh, Wilson Contreras's way, but that kind of Ben leads into our, our last, uh, just little topic looking back on this season. And I, I threw this into our, our little outline here. And the way I frame this, you know, was to just to ask the question, why was this the year DeWitt ball broke or, or did it? And, you know, Ben, I think back to my, my screenwriting classes in, co- in college, right? And that's those kind of screenwriting 101. That's always a, a question, right? Why today, right? Why, what, like what, what, what triggered this? Why did this happen today? And we've talked about DeWitt ball for years and this, you know, not paying for pitching, this pitch to contact kind of thing. This wasn't some new strategy the Cardinals broke out this year. They've been doing this for years and they've been in the playoffs for years. And so, um, I, I guess I'm curious, do you feel like that did break this year? Um, or do you think this was an outlier? What's like, what do you think? Um, I, I think it broke because the profile of what type of pitching is successful has, I think, spread what what other teams are targeting has spread and become so widespread mm-hmm. that uh it really elbows the cardinals out like they 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 can't, they aren't going to get those players now they're going to have to try but they can't mm-hmm. get those types of pitchers on the free agent market cuz everyone wants them mm-hmm. and so i feel like it pushed them even further into their kind of pitch to contact model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that squeezed them from the free agent market perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and then the way that prospects are valued with, and then also with respect to that type of pitching, they got squeezed on the, on the trade market front. Mm-hmm. And then the, the real problem that, uh, is the breakdown in the post jockety Mosellock talent pipeline, which is what DeWitt articulated as we need to have good, young, cheap talent so we can afford elite talent. Mm-hmm. And on the position player side, they've kind of done that. You know, they have right. Arenado and Goldschmidt, and they've supplemented that. But on the pitching side, they've just, they've, oh, they, they found themselves in the position position of overpaying for what they got from uh just about everyone except jordan montgomery i would say this year yeah and they had you know and when wainwright went down they had no uh replacement in the upper majors or excuse Mm -hmm. me the upper minors who's going to step up to the majors and come in and and be a quality starting pitcher they just they had no one and they mm-hmm. they had they they really had no one uh, for years, and so where they found themselves is they don't have anyone in the system who they've drafted and developed that allows them to have that kind of swing and miss strikeout success. Mm-hmm. They were they decided based on their overall philosophy that they weren't going to get it on the trade or the free agent market, and so where does that leave them? It, it leaves them with, you know, signing Adam Wainwright for a farewell tour yeah. and hoping that 
they get repeat performances for the most part from him and Michaelis. Well, when you get these older pitch to contact guys, the margin of error shrinks because their stuff isn't as good. And what happens if they aren't able to spot it where they want to? I mean, they're going to get hit hard and that's what happened. And so yeah. I, I think that's what the, the, where the season and the, really the whole philosophy and system fell apart this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to agree with you and I think it's, you know, it's, it's clearly heavily, heavily on the, on the pitching side. And, and, you know, again, we can say this philosophy has been in place for a while, but I think there are a number of factors that even though it's been in place for a while are really, you know, catching up with them sort of now more than ever. And, you know, you go back, you know, five, certainly 10 years ago, um, 15 years ago, you know, they were kind of, at the forefront of, you know, what you'd call the, you know, analytics side of front offices, because, you know, at that point, it was still just really all about evaluating the talent as it sat there and being able to compare this college prospect to this guy coming out of Japan to this high school prospect and, you know, translate what they were doing um, know who the best value was. And that's why you saw them with so many late round uh, Matt Carpenter types and um, Trevor Rosenthal types. They, they were hitting on all of those guys because they were really at the forefront of that, that movement. Um, well, at a certain point, every team kind of caught up on that. And, and the, the movement really in the you know, 2010s, the player development movement is the one that the team just, just absolutely did not get on board with. And, and you see it most dramatically on the pitching side. And so um, they're just not, um, you know, they're not able to identify pitching, um, you know, certain profiles of pitching that they're, you know, that they're going after. They're not able to develop pitchers when they come into the system to, you know, get more out of them. And that's the thing that almost every club is doing now. And they're, they're kind of able to do that. So that's not really happening. Um, you, you've had the, the fact that they're not signing strikeout pitchers, but that goes back forever. Um, and then weirdly to me on top of that, they just, they're not even targeting, you know, they, they stopped targeting those kind of pitchers in, you know, in the draft and in kind of, um, you know, just any of their acquisitions, which, which honestly seems like more of a recent thing as well. Cause of course you go back to, again, you know, say you're, you know, 2015, 2016 type time period, you know, part of a big reason those staffs were good was, you you know, you, yeah, they might not be going out and signing big name free agent pitchers. They certainly wouldn't, but they still had a Carlos Martinez, a Michael Waka, Lance Lynn. You know, they, they still had those kind of arms like coming up through the system. Um, you know, obviously we know they traded away Alcantara. They traded away a few guys who, you know, could have been some of that. But, you know, they, they, they just weren't going out and acquiring those guys. And especially these last few drafts, you know, I see them. You know, I, I hate to keep harping on, you know, Cooper Jerpy, but, you know, like that's your first round pick is this, you know, junk baller. And so they've just they really, really went all in on this um, pitch to contact junk balling thing. And that, you know, cratered on them. And then I think even just some little things around the edges, you know, I think the shift thing hurt them a, a, a smidge this year. Um, I think a bigger thing was, whereas these last several years, they really built a team that was heavily kind of defense first. Um, th this year, they kind of, you know, they, they w opted for offense in a number of positions, you know, Jordan Walker, Wilson Contreras, um, Nolan Gorman, and that I think exacerbated the problems with those pitch to contact pitchers. So, you know, failure on multiple fronts. <laughs> and so, um, you know, but, I, but um, some of that stuff you could say, well, maybe in another year it would bounce a little bit differently and it's a little bit of bad luck. And that's probably true, but the, the trends are all moving in a direction opposite them. And so I think that's why you've heard from the team in no uncertain terms that they are, they are punting DeWitt ball. Um, uh, or if, if uh, there will be DeWitt ball, it will be a new brand of DeWitt ball going forward. Yeah. One where they maybe don't finish second for a top tier free agent. I, yes. you know, I, I remain, it, it remains to be seen, but that brings us to our next uh, topic, I think, here, uh, looking forward to the hot stove. Um, and that, Derek Gould at stltoday.com uh, in some of his postseason reporting, Ben, has 
sources indicating that the Cardinals are interested in Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray as potential free agent starters. Uh, what is your reaction to that news, Ben? Well, I mean, when uh, I was a little surprised when I heard it, because of course, I think we, like many people have assumed the Cardinals would not be in on those, uh, you know, and those are pretty much the, you know, two, uh, you know, of the very top of the market, you know, guys that are going to be out there. So now um, I'm confident that the Cardinals will be in on those guys and will be finishing second on those guys. What, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, I was thinking, you know, like, Sonny Gray is of the age. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. They'll sign him to like a six-year deal and, uh, you know, he'll be good for like two years. And then where will we be? Um, And Nola, there are some red flags there as well. Um, To me, this seems like probably two of the better fits uh, in the free agent market. If if you take away price tag and the fact they're going to be bidding against uh, a whole lot of other teams. And so, I mean, I think there's like no way they sign both of them. Um, but maybe sure. they're able to sign like gray, um, after Nola goes, uh, uh, after Nola signs a big contract and sets the market elsewhere, maybe the Cardinals use that and lock down gray. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, anything could happen. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we forget, you know, Bill Bill DeWitt is like, I think the fifth wealthiest owner as an individual, um, like fourth or fifth or something. It's it's shockingly high. He's a very, very wealthy man. So, you know, people people buy a lot of big beef and cheddars, folks. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't count that out. So, I mean, we're used to the Cardinals, like holding payroll at a certain place and kind of doing business in a certain way. But like, literally, on his whim, that could change, right? So if they choose to be more aggressive in how they spend, and particularly how they spend on pitching, you know, they, there's no reason that they, they could, it's not, it's not a lack of resource thing that they couldn't do this. It's, it's just all about will. So, you know, the question, do they have the will? Well, their track record is no, they're not going to. On the other hand, they really seem to understand where they're at right now and that this is a massive need for them. And I think if they also look at it from the standpoint of, you know, if, if they want to think about a sort of Arenado Goldschmidt window, and I think they kind of do, um, I, I think the team tends to think about it that way. Um, you know, the, the, there's there's not uh, not many years left to try to you know capitalize and make some kind of a you know uh, a special postseason run. You know, with those guys in anything close to their prime. So, um, it, you know, it's going to take much longer to rebuild the. Um, you know, the the whole infrastructure and the system that we just kind of talked about. But, you know, if they if if they had the willingness to go out and, you know, buy a few top tier pieces to kind of paper over for a year or two, they could. And, and you know, it might it might, you know, bridge things a bit. So, um, you know, again, if, if, if I was a betting man, I'd say I think they're going to finish second on these two guys and they're still going to, you know, sign you know, the like, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth best name out there, which is pretty much what we've been saying all season. But the fact that, you know, sources are even kind of leaking these kind of names to me suggests that maybe they are going to be more aggressive than we thought they would be. Yeah. And, you know, looking at some of the coverage of the Minnesota Twins here as the postseason starts and how they were for years last or second to last or third to last in strikeouts in the majors. And now they're, they're at the top. Uh, And about five years ago is the last time they were last. Well, about how long are free agent starting pitcher contracts nowadays? They're usually about five or six, seven years. Right. And so the Cardinals may decide, you know, they're not going to be able to to you know build that bridge to the next generation unless they just go out and and buy the pieces right mm-hmm. yeah. and and as you said they they can certainly afford it and yeah. so 
Um, so I think it will be interesting to see how aggressive they are because traditionally when John Mosellock led St. Louis Cardinals front offices have a need, they are pretty aggressive about going out and filling that need, whether it was Johnny Peralta at shortstop or yeah. Wilson Contreras at catcher. Like they yeah. don't. Or Jason Hayward. Or or Jason Hayward. Yeah. Via trade. And so um, it will be interesting to see if instead of sitting back and letting the market develop and then being like, oh, that's too rich for our taste. Are they going to go out and set the market? Yeah, because yeah. that's kind of what they did at shortstop with Peralta, you know, like yep. they went out and they got him. Yeah. And um, and it was a very aggressive move. And that was a very long time ago. But uh, and they haven't really shown that type of nimble uh, move toward a free agent uh, until probably Contreras or a top tier free agent, I should say. You know, there's Mike Leak, there's right, Dexter Fowler. Right, yeah. Um, but, but like, Contreras you know, you know is a what good I'm example because Contreras was the top free agent, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. they did that just last year if we want to, you know, be fair and give yeah. them credit for it. Yeah. But they're going to be in, you know, I mean, you know, that, that top free agent starter is going to be at least double the money of yes. Contreras. And so there, it is going to be a deeper end of the swimming, the free agent swimming pool. So I'm very interested to, to see how, just how aggressive they are yeah. on both the trade and the free agent front. Yeah. Well, and you know, Ben, I think we're kind of getting into our last kind of main topic here. And, and as we look ahead to next season, I think, we thought we might each kind of take a turn, maybe giving sort of a pessimistic outlook and then ending on an optimistic outlook, because I think it's fair to say that we really see a pretty wide range of possible outcomes for this team next year. I mean, I know I do. I can see a pretty, I, I can see a repeat of this year, but I could also see this team, you know, bouncing back and having the kind of season that they were projected to this year and, you know, being a playoff team. So, um, so let's just so we can end on a high note, Ben. Let's uh, let's start low. <laughs> um, what, it, it, you know, if you were to kind of give a pessimistic forecast for what next season is going to look like, what are, what are the hallmarks of that? What what happens that makes that be the case? Um, Oliver Marmol. <laughs> okay, decides... Ben has given us his answer. No, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Oliver Marmol is the manager. It yeah. starts there. Um, he decides to show how deserving he is to be a major league manager by calling someone out and just kind of souring the clubhouse early. Uh, there's a lack of leadership in the clubhouse without Pujols and Molina. Oh, wait, that's this year. Um, uh, but uh, in all seriousness, I, I think that the the reason for pessimism is that you have a manager who shouldn't have his job and is in over his head uh, in the clubhouse who has shown he's completely incompetent at bringing in uh, newly signed players. You know, look at how horribly he and the front office handled Wilson Contreras when they tried to scapegoat him for the bad pitching earlier in the year. So that is very concerning to me. And now you're trying, you have a young kind of unestablished pitching coach and you're going to go out with a front office that has not shown a skill at signing big ticket free agents. And you are going to try to turn around this team that finished in last place behind the Pittsburgh pirates with all of our marmal and inexperienced pitching coach in the current front office calling the shots. And it there's there's a lot of reason for concern in all yeah. of that yeah um and i i know i would be lying if i said that i was not concerned about it going into the the off season what do you what's your reason for pessimism ben well it's interesting ben that you um you focus um kind of on the on, on marmal who certainly i'm not a fan of um i i honestly focus more um uh, on mo and you know, for a long time, and of course the GM, people always, people always rag on the GM, right? And there's been these people that have been like anti-Mo for so long. 
And, you know, when it comes to the what we've been talking about, about how, you know, the team doesn't sign uh, quality free agent pitching, basically. Right. You've seen these people that have just been complaining for years about, you know, Mo being a fool or whatever. Well, as you and I have said forever, and I think fans that are really kind of paying close attention can clearly see that's ownership. Right. He has he's clearly been given that directive by ownership. And I think. Over his tenure, you really have to say he's done a phenomenal job within the constraints he was given by ownership of finding a way to build, uh, you know, championship teams. That said, I really think that we're at the point where the the game has passed him by. And um, yes, he was doing this kind of because management um, dictated it but at the same time you know he oversaw this organization at a point that they completely missed the player development uh movement and i think since um uh you know since jeff lunau left the organization right it doesn't seem like you've seen and 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 in fairness poached a pretty good amount of talent with him in, in the immediate wake of that but it just doesn't seem like you've seen a lot of like top tier talent um, and real kind of innovative ideas brought into the organization. And I think you have to kind of pin that on, on Mo a little bit um, as well. So where am I going with this? Because we're supposed to be talking about next season and not, not Mo. I mean, my concern is just that I don't think he knows how to fix this. And I just don't see um, uh, evidence that, that he's going to be able to fix it. And I don't see a willingness in the organization to fix this. You know, I think it's telling that, you know, basically every other organization that lost the, the number of games that the Cardinals did that was expected to do well, right? You know, and, and even teams that did better, right? You know, the Giants and, you know, of course the Mets and, you know, you know, all the teams I'm talking about, you know, they all, uh, you know, parted ways with their manager and they have just done other things that really suggest maybe a, a significant change of direction. And it's it's really to be seen with the Cardinals because, of course, we have instead Mo coming out and giving this real vote of confidence to uh, Oliver Marmol. And then we have this talk about like, well, maybe we're going to sign Paul Goldschmidt to an extension. And it's like, hey, this team just lost 91 games. Like, you know what I mean? Like, at what point are we going to try to fix this? And the fact that it doesn't seem like maybe he's going to be particularly aggressive to fix this. Maybe he doesn't know how to fix this. Those are the things that concern me because it seems like DeWitt is set on letting Mo have his final year there to kind of, you know, try to fix this. But I'm uh, I'm really concerned that he doesn't know how to fix it, even if he's kind of given the, the tools to. So that's that's what would make me pessimistic, Ben. Um, any thoughts on that or should we should we talk about what some reasons for optimism? Because I, I have some optimistic thoughts as well. Uh, I I agree with with your concern because it's just kind of one of those things where if you don't use muscles they kind of atrophy on you yeah and you know Dewitt instructing Mosaic oh yes now you can go spend money well it's what do you go spend it on and how do you engage in those negotiations and what would that look like yeah. um, and so it would be very interesting. Uh, to be in the room, you know, during some of those conversations. Of course, you know, it was famously reported that Boris uh, angered DeWitt and Mosellock brought the Matt Holiday contract over the finish line. But then Mosellock angered Pujols and his team, and DeWitt was running point on those negotiations by the end. So it, it's also kind of one of those things where it just kind of goes to show like, you know, Bill DeWitt's going to be involved in this too. And, yeah. and how much is he going to allow Mosellock to go do his thing? So it, it will be very interesting uh, to see how that all pans out. Uh, well, but Ben, what are you? Just, just another way to, oh. another, just sorry, just, but just a, another maybe kind of point to make or uh, a button to put on it too is, you know, this is Mo's last year, right? And I think there's reason to believe that what the Cardinals need, at least on some level, is a rebuild, right? And like you and I talked over, talked about at the major league level, I think there there's an argument to be made that there there could be some some uh, acquisitions that maybe paper things over. But in the rest of the system where I think the real need is, that really needs 
reinvention. And is that something that somebody is looking to do in their final year in a job? I don't think that it is. So I just don't really see them making the progress next year that I think the organization really needs to make, because I just don't think somebody who's on their way out is going to do that kind of start from scratch. I really think that that's probably going to happen when whoever the next guy is comes in. And so I just worry that next year is ultimately going to be a retread of this year because we're trotting out too many of the same pieces. And then if Mo truly leaves, and then I would think at that point, and especially if it's been a retread of this year, Ollie certainly will leave. We'd see a pretty significant organizational refresh. And, and then maybe that would be where we'd see some change, but perhaps there things don't go that way. And we have reason to be optimistic. <laughs> yes. Fingers crossed. So with, with uh, that in mind, what are your reasons for optimism uh, heading into next year? Well, hope springs eternal, Ben. Anyway, over to you. No, um, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, and some of this is stuff we've been saying all year, but um, this is a good team. I mean, the, the, in, in that there's there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of good players, um, you know, still in this organization, particularly on the offensive side, and particularly a lot of good young players. So whether we're talking about, uh, you know, Gorman or Newbar or, you know, Walker or Wynn, um, they've got, um, you know, yeah, you know, Goldschmidt and Arenado are, uh, you know, on the tail end of their careers, though, you know, still relatively, you know, maybe late peak. Um, but th there's a lot of young talent there and, and the offense really looks to probably be fine. So um, they still are in that kind of fixable realm, I think. And so I feel like it's it's reasonable that, you know, again, uh, a couple free agent acquisitions and a trade or two. I do think as even though this team lost 91 games this year, I think it's reasonable that um, if those are executed well enough and, um, you know, you probably have to kind of run the table on all of those moves. But, um, you know, if they do, I think you could see them bounce back at the major league level. So I'd say that's one of the, the big reasons to believe that. And and I would point to, you know, this is a team with resources and we've seen clubs like the Red Sox have these kind of, you know, turnarounds in the past. And so, um, it, you know, the Cardinals could do that essentially. And um, their talk anyway is that they are motivated to do this. And I, I you know, I just got done saying, some of the reasons that I'm a little a little skeptic and I, I worry about things like the you know, the talk about a Goldschmidt extension. But, you know, the same was kind of true at the trade deadline where there was some, you know, as a trade deadline approached, there was some like, well, maybe we won't trade these guys. Maybe we like who we have, you know, maybe we'll look at extensions. But eventually they really did kind of exactly what they needed to do. So I'm hopeful that despite what some of the talk might be now, they know what they need to do and they're, they're gonna execute it this off season. And, and again, if they do that, I think they've got a legitimate shot next year. So um, I don't know if you buy into those same reasons, Ben, but those are my reasons to be optimistic. How about you? Yeah, I my biggest reason to be optimistic is the position player foundation. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's depth there, uh, they have talent there. Um, they're going to potentially be able to trade from it. Uh, and, uh, and I think having that as the foundation for the 2024 team and then adding to it in the form of pitching, I think that's, there's reason for optimism there. And then I also feel that they have arms that may not profile as difference makers uh, in the rotation, but that might be uh, effective bullpen arms currently in the system. Mm -hmm. So they don't necessarily have to go out and buy relief pitching in addition to starting pitching. And yeah. so, you know, those two things to me at least uh, give me reason to believe that this could be a quick turnaround rather than one that takes years because uh, you know, if, if they make the right signings uh, and they're able to bring those pitchers on and the staff and current players are able to work together and they're, and they're able to uh, help one another succeed. I, I think this could work. Um, but I, you know, I would, I would, 
I would be more worried if they did not have as many quality position players uh, on this team, uh, particularly young position players uh, heading into next year. Um, but I, I think that's definite a definite strength and uh, reason to be optimistic. A hundred percent. And, you know, as much kind of shade as we've thrown on their, you know, player development and everything, you know, the, the position players, you know, they're, they're still doing a, a pretty good job on the position player side. And, and, you know, yeah, this year we had a couple of, you know, real kind of top 100 guys and even last year too, right? Walker, Wynn, Gorman. I mean, those were all guys that were, you know, kind of big names on top 100 lists, but, you know, in the last two years, we still see a, you know, a new bar and a Donovan who are much more kind of classic Cardinals development stories, right? Basically like out of nowhere guys who are like, oh geez, th these are actually like really good players. So, you know, that's really heartening that they are still, you know, doing that. So, I mean, we're, we're by no means at the everything is broken stage. And, you know, this isn't a team that's running like, you know, Pittsburgh or Oakland payrolls. So, um, so absolutely, I would say, you know, um, go into next year enthusiastically, folks. <laughs> oh, for um, sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be a good just kind of jumping off point to our, uh, our end here, Ben, because as we are, do start looking towards next year, um, or at least towards this off season, uh, wh what are you going to be looking for? Uh, I'm going to be looking for the uh, the smoke, you know, once yeah. the free agent season officially begins, kind of, you know, what pitchers are expressly being made available via trade and because uh, we know who the free agents are going to be. And so... I that's one of the things that you never really know exactly who is available in the off season via trade. Um, and so, you know, like Jason Hayward, I think caught that trade as an example, I think caught a lot of people by surprise. And so, you know, are we going to get like a thunderclap type of move or are we going to see, you know, the Cardinals kind of more in like the Arenado or Goldschmidt trade mold where it's like, Oh, Hey, they are in on this pitcher and it, and there's just no one else who really ever unseats them from the, the front runner seat yeah. and, uh, and they're able to do it. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking uh, for the smoke with respect to which starters are available via trade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will be looking for that as well, Ben, but uh, I am also going to be looking uh, with, with this in mind, uh, everything new that they do is good, Ben, and everything old that they do is bad. And I feel like that's kind of a classic, like, dumb guy take on the offseason. But I really think that this year um, it's going to be sort of a hallmark of the direction that their offseason is taking. And, you know, and by that, I mean, and this just gets back to what I kind of talked about. I think... I think the bad version of the Cardinals next year is a version that's high on their own hubris and is saying, hey, we, we're still the Cardinals. We know what we're doing. We're just going to make a couple little tweaks here. But otherwise, it's business as usual here. You know, roll out the playoff mat. We're, we're going to be back, baby. I don't see that going really well. So, you know, if if this, you know, if, if they, you know, and again, we've been told they're going to retain Marmol. So that's kind of one in that, you know, th that, that, that boat you know if they do in fact sign goldie to an extension again when he already has he's still under contract for next season so you don't you you literally don't have to sign him to an extension this off season um you know but that kind of thing you know just the the more that they're just kind of bringing back the or, or you know locking up long term this team that was not getting it done to me that's bad now on the other hand if we get a surprise marmol firing which you know we don't expect but we certainly didn't expect the shelf firing so i'm not gonna completely rule it out and you know the the degree to which we do see him going out there and making some free agent signings or making some trades really everything i see that's showing more aggressive change that's what I'm going to be looking for, because to me, that's the thing that's most going to signal the likelihood of them being successful next season. That's that's good. I like that. 
Um, and, and hopefully uh, they finally finish that pitching lab that we've heard so much about for so long. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that would be the like, yeah, I know the construction's beginning. I, I get it. But like, uh, it would be really nice if they just had the things that like most major NCAA programs have. Oh, uh, at their facilities, you know, like, like mo most like it's like most like 12 year old, like uh, travel ball. <laughs> at this point, then. Yeah. I mean, we were taking our kids to places we were literally taking our like low, 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 low level, like, you know, team to like facilities here that I swear to God had equipment that it, it's by all reporting, the Cardinals did not have, you know, several years ago. It was pretty insane. So, um, all right. Well, we're heading into an off season. So people are going to have a little more time on their hands uh, with no Cardinals baseball. Ben, do you have a recommendation for them? Uh, I do with the postseason getting underway. Uh, Dane Perry, who uh, has the uh, birdie work newsletter. He also writes for CBS sports and he had a good post um, recently about the postseason there on CBS, and it's uh, titled Why the Teams with Worse uh, Regular Season Records Stand a Fighting Chance in the Postseason. And it kind of looked at how, since the expanded wildcard format, how the team with the worst record in each league has fared in the postseason. And I, it was very uh, eye-opening you know, I kind of felt like it was true, um, but I think seeing some of the numbers from his research uh, put to print uh, made it even more so, like, uh, hit home. And so uh, I enjoyed that, and I encourage folks to read it uh, here because I think it's kind of a nice backdrop uh, of for you before you go watch the postseason this year and maybe cheer on a, a team that's a long shot uh, to go deep into the tournament. Or, you know, if you bet futures and you like to make money, that could be another reason to, <laughs> to read. So, um, <laughs> well, Ben, uh, I, uh, I, uh, last week I was at the New York film festival, which is why we're recording this a, a little bit after the very end of the season. Um, and I was there for various work things, but of course got to see films, which was part of the work stuff I was there for. So I did want to just give folks a couple recommendations since I got to see some of the films that are going to be coming out here later this fall. And I would say in general in the off season, go see a movie, go see it at a local independent art house if you can. Um, but two movies, Ben, that I saw that I was just huge fans of. Uh, first one was uh, Poor Things, the new Yorgos Lanthimos film. And so if, if anyone's seen some of his earlier work, uh, you know, The Favorite, The Lobster, um, etc., this is just, he really goes to another level, huge canvas to work with. It's almost like um, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos does, uh, 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 oh gosh, uh, Wes Anderson, right? Like it's almost like that level of uh, just kind of production design and, and everything, but it's a, it's a just crazy gonzo movie. It's very much my taste. It won't be everybody's taste, but I loved it um, and just gotten generally great reviews. Um, and then I also caught, uh, the other one that I caught that I really, was taken with was uh, the boy in the heron which is uh miyazaki's you know he said it's going to be his final movie which he's said before but he's 89 now ben so there's a point where you know we do have to take him at his word here but um just a really you know beautiful film as you'd expect from him uh very moving um kind of more personal than a lot of his films have said so if, if those are two filmmakers that you enjoy i think you will very much not be disappointed by those two films and i would say check those out all right, Ben, any, anything else before we leave folks for the off season? Uh, no, just enjoy postseason baseball and uh, we'll probably catch up with you uh, here uh, when we're a little bit closer to winter. Yeah, um, I guess for folks who haven't kind of been through an off season before, and I guess we should let folks know, while this is Cardinals off day, we don't record a podcast every single day of the off season until the next season starts. So if you were hoping for that, I hate to disappoint you, but that will not be the case. 
you know, Ben and I more or less take the off season off, but uh, we often do drop in with a, a special episode or 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 two. Um, you know, when a particularly big move drops, and it certainly seems like that's likely to happen this year. So, you know, keep us there in your feed. We'll we'll probably pop in at some point this off season, and, and otherwise, of course, we'll be back with you next uh, next season. Um, as always, we got to thank Devant for the theme music. We've got to thank Dan for everything he does on uh, social media and just kind of helping us keep organized here. Um, huge part of um, helping the show be, uh, you know, hopefully as enjoyable as it is for everybody. So big thanks to Dan. Um, ben, anything else before we sign off? Nope. Thanks for listening, everyone. And take care. Yep. All right. Go Cardinals. We'll see you next season. Go Cardinals!